I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. I want to speak today on something that all of us universally have experienced, and it has to do with temptation. <clears throat> I believe one of the main strategies of the evil one is to try to convince us that he does not exist. According to the scriptures, we have here and in many other places, the devil is a real person. He's, he is a spirit. He's not just some vague influence. Listen to the words of the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Something that we all experience, temptation in our walk with the Lord. Temptation is an enticement to do that which is contrary as Christians to the word of God or to the command of God. In our text this morning, Matthew 4, we have here that this temptation came immediately after Jesus had gone and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Our first appearance of the evil one is in the third chapter of Genesis. Now it's important for us to realize uh, the concept of eternity because we are so rooted in time. The concept of eternity is hard for us to really get up hold of. But a long time before man and woman were created as an act by God, there was a time in the misty eternity when the devil and his angels rebelled against God according to the word of God. And they were cast out of heaven. Whenever that happened, that was before the creation. But his first appearance, according to the word of God, is in Genesis. And he comes in the form of a serpent. Now, I don't know that it's universal, but generally most people that I've ever met has a kind of a fear of snakes. And I think that is probably because, but before the fall, he was cunning and, and he was attractive. Now, I don't kind of understand that because I really don't like snakes, even the kind that do not hurt you. About 25 or 30 years ago, <clears throat> I heard my wife, and her voice was kind of high-pitched. And so in our bedroom, there was a snake. I don't know how it got there, but I killed it. This week, I was watching a news of, about a snake here in Virginia that somebody caught and the newscaster reminded us that it was against the law to kill snakes. Now folks, if a snake gets in my bedroom again, I am not calling 
animal control. I don't know if the statute of limitations has run out 25 years ago, but I killed that snake graveyard dead. <laughs> but we have been, uh, uh, as it were, uh, influenced into thinking. But here in Genesis 3, the devil appears as a, uh, uh, as a serpent, and the Bible tells us that he was more crafty and enticing than any of the animals that God has created. And now we come to our text in Matthew 4, and it comes immediately after, you remember, the baptism of Jesus. Now, you remember Jesus met John, who, by the way, John and Jesus, John the Baptist, were cousins. Of course, you know, Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist, and uh, Mary was the mother of Jesus, and they were related, and they were cousins. They were not first cousins, but somewhere down the line they were related. Now, John the Baptist was a prophet called by God, and he was an unusual man. He did not fit the mold of the way you look, but he was a, gr a prophet, and he, was, he came to do two things. First of all, preach repentance. And that word occurs many times in the Bible about repenting. Then secondly, he was to point us to Jesus Christ. And you remember on one occasion when he met Jesus, he said, look, there is the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. I remember the song years ago that we used to sing, the whole world was lost in the darkness of sin, but the light of the world is Jesus. It is interesting to me that in John chapter 8, Jesus referred to himself as, I am the light of the world. John the Baptist pointed us to Jesus Christ, and he did not want to baptize Jesus, but Jesus said, no, it is imperative that I be baptized. Now, why was Jesus baptized? It was not because he was a sinner. You and I, because we're sinners, and when we're saved by the grace of God and the blood of Christ, as an example of obedience, he tells us to be baptized. It is also an indication that we have joined the local family of God called the church. Baptism is important. And for those of you who care about it, the word in the New Testament, baptismo, means to immerse. And that's the reason as Baptists we believe at baptism by immersion. Now I know there are many wonderful Christians who love the Lord and serve the Lord who have not been baptized by immersion. But as Baptists we go by what God says in his word. And so Jesus goes to John to be baptized, not because he had sinned, but to give us an example and also to authenticate the preaching ministry of John the Baptist. And so after he was baptized, you remember, we hear from God the Father, a voice from heaven who said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It was at that moment that Father God gave his approval to the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus Christ. 
And it, it is at the very beginning of his public ministry that he is being tempted by the devil. Jesus pleased the Lord. And therefore, when we come to Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, according to the Bible, is led by the Spirit of God into the desert to be tempted by the devil. In God's sovereignty, there was a purpose in this temptation. Now, let me be clear here that you and I can be in the very middle of the will of God. We can be trying to obey. We can be trying to serve God. But we still are going to be tempted. One of the stratagems of Satan is to give us the idea that that's just something preachers talk about. Folks, he is a real person. And his desire is to wreak havoc in the world. I don't know if you've listened recently to the new uh, little evangelistic thing that Franklin Graham has on TV. And he, he says that we, we're concerned about the war, we're concerned about crime, we're concerned about the floods and famine. And he said, I am too. But all of that is the result of sin. And folks, he's right about that. Let me be careful when I say to you that we're living in a time when we see daily the fallen nature of man. Now, because we're living in a humanistic, secular society, when people kill people, they say, well, he was mentally ill. Now, folks, the reason they say that is because when you are a secularist, you have no place for God. God says that we're sinners. Now, I recognize that there's a real thing called mental illness. And I recognize that sometimes in a person's profound mental illness, they will do horrible things. But most of the time, people murder other people because they're sinners and because of sin. And did you know in chapter Genesis 3 where we have that, the, the first temptation in the very next, if you were to read entire chapter 3 of Genesis, you would find that several verses God makes it clear because of Adam and Eve's sin, and you remember the Satan comes to, to Adam and Eve and the first thing he does is to try to get them to, de uh, to deny or to doubt the word of God. And so the serpent, who was crafty, who was cunning, comes to Adam and Eve and says to them, God did not really tell you to eat of the, any of the trees of the garden. Well, God did not tell them that. There was only one tree that was off limit. There was one tree that they could not eat the fruit of. All the rest they were in charge of, and the devil says, surely God didn't tell you to eat any of any of the trees. And later on, you see, he gets them to doubt what God has said. One of the tricks of the evil one is to get us to doubt what God has said. And folks, our churches are filled with people who do not really believe that the Bible is the word of God. 
And there are people who are listening in churches today whose lives are out of sync with the will of God because they are not committed to the authenticity and the power of the word of God. And so the devil in Genesis 3 says, surely God has not said this. And so they eat of the fruit of that forbidden tree and God drives them out and in the next chapter, do you know what happens? They had two sons, Cain and Abel. You know what happened? In the very next chapter, Cain kills Abel. Folks, the point I'm making is sin has a powerful influence in the world today. I think of the people that you and I have read in history. It could be Pol Pot in Southeast Asia or perhaps in North Korea or Stalin in World War II or Hitler in World War II. That is the face of evil, man's inhumanity to man. And we must understand because of man's disobedience to God, sin entered the world and because of sin, we're in the mess that we're in today. Now, let me say this. When Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted, we see Jesus in his humanity. Now, I want you to pay careful attention. This is a theologically important part of the sermon. God in the flesh, when Jesus became man, he was fully God, but he was fully man. If you read the prologue of 1 John, it says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, everybody, every commentator that I have ever read, conservative, evangelical, liberal, whatever, will admit that the Word there is referring to Jesus Christ. The word in Greek is logos. It is the eternal logos. In the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ, when he came to earth, he was God, but he was also a fully a man. And if we do not understand that, then it's just easy to say, well, this temptation is not as important because God was in Jesus Christ and he was God. No, he was fully man. And the Bible says in Hebrews, he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Whatever temptation you face as a Christian, Jesus Christ faced it. Whatever enticement to do wrong that you face, Jesus Christ faced the same enticement. And we must understand and keep in mind that when we're in this text, we're looking at God, but he is man in the flesh. And so he comes to him, and let me say, we have here the personality of the tempter. Sadly, we live in a time inside and out of the church where people don't really believe that the devil is as real as some preacher says he is. We reject 
the existence of the devil, we reject the revelation of God's Word. And folks, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize that we're living in an increasing lawless community. I don't mean our local community. I hope that's not true. But it seems to me, and maybe I'm wrong, that increasingly, even in Roanoke County, there seems to be more crime than there was 20 years ago. Now, I might be wrong about that. But it seems to me that, uh, that in, in America, there is an increasing amount of lawliness, the disregard for the law, the disregards to the parameters of living under uh, a, a, an ordered society. It, if we keep on going the way we're going, folks, we're going to be in chaos in a few years. We're living in dangerous times. And because of that, we need to know that the devil is afoot. In Hebrews 4.15 it says, Christ was in all points tempted like us, yet without sin. And so we have the story now of Christ in his humanity facing the tempter. Let me give, and I want to do this word for word. I wrote it down this week as I prepared this sermon. The devil who existed before the creation of Adam and Eve at some point in eternity rebelled against God, the creator, and became then and is today the chief enemy of God and man. He appears both in the Old and the New Testament. Somewhere in eternity, the devil rebelled against the sovereignty of our holy God, and today we're dealing with the bitter fruit of that rebellion. Adam and Eve was told to doubt what God says. And one of the main enticements of the devil is for us to say, I don't really believe that's what God meant. I've had people, people of faith who, who, who will come to me and it is their honest opinion. Well, but, but preacher, I, 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 I just don't believe that's what God meant by what you preached on last Sunday. And, and that's fine, and I'm not always right. But folks, I'm right about the devil being real in the world today. And we who are the people of God need to understand that we have an enemy, and, but his destiny ultimately, according to Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And listen as I read this. And the devil who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, and where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. One day, maybe, if the Lord wants me to keep preaching, I'm going to preach on heaven, and the next Sunday I'm going to preach on hell. See, people want to hear about heaven, but they don't want to hear about hell. Oh, I bet it was 30 years ago I was uh, in the mall, and I usually don't go to the mall on Saturday night. In fact, anymore, I don't go to the mall at all. But my point is I ran across a lady who knew me. She didn't come to our church, and 
But uh, she was upset. Her preacher was going to take a month off, and boy, she didn't like that. Our preacher's going to be gone for four weeks. And she said, what are you preaching on tomorrow? It just so happened that I was going to preach on hell. Well, she asked me, and I told her. She said, well, I'm not coming. And she didn't. Because, see, folks, we are geared. We want to believe that God is love and God is love. And we want to believe that there's a place in heaven for those who know Christ. And all of that is true. But if we reject Christ, and I don't understand it, but there is a place called hell. It is a place of darkness, and it is a place that separates us from the presence of God. What is hell like? It's the absence of a God who loves us. And so we must be careful. Now let's deal with the temptations for a few minutes. I've got a few minutes, yes. In Matthew chapter 1, it says, He came to Jesus, and let's go quickly through them. And he said, Because you're hungry, the tempter came to Jesus and said, If you are the Son of God, Jesus, if you really are who you say you are, turn the stones into bread. Show us that you're the Son of God. That's what's taking place there. Well, keep in mind, now he's hungry. Forty days, forty nights, nothing to eat. In his humanity, he is hungry. And the devil says, now, if you are really who you say you are, if you are the Son of God, just turn these stones into bread. That's almost a reasonable request. But notice, Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, that's the first temptation. In his weakness, turn stones into bread. He was hungry, turn the stones into bread. Let me make a point here. Maybe some of you are facing some real hardship in your life. And you love the Lord and you've tried to serve the Lord. And maybe there's something in your life. It could be a health problem. It could be a family problem. And it looks like as you struggle in the storm of life, that the devil will leave you alone. It won't happen. It will be then that he will attack you. He'll try to get you to doubt the promises of God. He'll try to get you to doubt that God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The devil can quote more scripture than all of us put together. And therefore, we come to the second one. I've got to hurry, so y'all listen quickly. It says, and then the devil, this is in verse 5, and then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. And listen, he says almost the same thing. He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And then he quotes Psalms 91. He quotes the Bible. The devil does. That's the reason I said he knows a lot of scripture. Now, Psalms 91 says... If I can find it, it's in the Old Testament. Psalms 91 says, verse 11, For he, refers to God, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in your, their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. If you read here, that is the quote from Psalms 91. Now what is he saying? 
Jesus, if you really are the Son of God, up on this high temple mount, why don't you just jump off and let God rescue you like he promised in Psalms 91 to show that God is who he is and that you are the Son of God. And what does Jesus do? He says in verse 7, For it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And the Bible makes it clear that we are not to test God. You know, you may be a diabetic, but say, I'm just going to trust the Lord and I'm not going to take any medicine. That's, That's testing the Lord. I have glaucoma and every night I'm supposed to put drops in my eye and I try to be faithful But I could say, you know, I'm just going to trust the Lord and let him do the rest. That's testing God. God has given us medicine. Let's use medicine. Jesus says, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then, as we hurry on, it said in verse 8, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor And then the devil, this is the third temptation. He says, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Now, here's the point. If Jesus had worshipped him, I think that he would have given him the kingdoms of the world and his power. But you see, God's plan for Jesus, ultimately, one day, every knee shall bow, Every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord of Lord and kings of king. But until that time happened, Jesus had to go where? To the cross. And that's where you and I come in. And listen to what Jesus said. He didn't say, as it, yes, he did. He says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In other words, Jesus said, I will not worship you. I worship my Father, the God who created the universe. What I'm trying to say, notice every time Jesus quoted Scripture, and by the way, he quoted, now remember, at this point, we didn't have the New Testament. And so every time, if you research this Scripture, you will find that the Lord Jesus is quoting the book of Deuteronomy. And he is saying, it is written. What is Jesus saying? The word of God has power. The word of God is true. Jesus, the son of God, Jesus who created God, Jesus who was God in the flesh, in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. And Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. What is the point of this sermon? If the devil tempted Jesus, folks, we need to be prepared and know we're going to be tempted. We're going to be tempted to deny the word of God. We're going to be tempted to say, well, you know, that's not too bad. We'll just go ahead and do it. But we need to be prepared. And let me read two scriptures And uh, I may not be here next week if I've got some things to do, but that, that preacher, let him take the time off. Here's the scripture. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, I believe it's in the bulletin. Be sober, 
Be on the alert. Your enemy, your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking him some, someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith. Resist the devil. That is what we are to do. How do we resist the devil? By going to the Word of God. You precious parents who have small children. I know you think I'm radical and old-fashioned and just plain old, and I agree with all that. But I want to tell you the truth, and you mark it down, the devil will try to destroy your children. And that's going to happen, and that is happening. I've read some statistics that young people are turning away from the church. I don't know if this is even true, but I read this as true, that today, if they took a survey of young men and women in the military, going into the military. I read this several months ago, that as many of them will put down that they are atheists or agnostic than will put down that they're Southern Baptists. And the only reason I mention that is because Southern Baptists is supposed to be the largest Protestant denomination in America. We, we, we have about 15 million. What we don't tell people is you can't find 7 million of them. That's the reason we need to be faithful to the Word of God. I know I'll probably upset some of you, but folks, the devil is real. And he wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your faith. And if you're struggling and if you're in a hole and your heart is aching, he's going to do you double duty. He will not let up. Just because you're struggling, the devil will not let up. He wants to destroy our faith. That's the reason he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about Jesus, No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape. That is the reason, in my old-fashioned way, I really believe that you need to spend time in the Word of God. Folks, don't misunderstand me. I'm closing. I'm landing this plane in the next minute. But every day, every day, without exception, at 84, I spend measurable time reading the Word of God. Just because I'm old and just about ready to go home, the devil still tempts me. There are certain programs on TV I will not watch. There were certain books I will not read. There are certain places I will not go because the Bible says resist the devil. Is it true? It's God's word. It's true. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. We pray today that you would bless this good church. Lord, we have some good folks here, and I just pray that you would lead them to the man whom you have chosen to be their pastor. God, I thank you for the leadership here. I thank you for those who are trying to do the will of God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest upon this church. I thank you. For the prayers that you've answered. I thank you for all your faithfulness. And I make this prayer in Christ's name.